Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Well, how are we doing today? We doing all right? We doing all right, man? You guys sounded great this morning in worship, and I'm so thankful for your, your worship, your singing, the energy in the room. Uh, all this week, we have been meeting at 6 a.m. You, you've heard a little bit about the 21 days already today, but we've been meeting at 6 a.m. for prayer. We met yesterday at 8 a.m. Just a really special time of prayer and worship and uh, short teaching, and, and, and it's been amazing. So I encourage you this next week, just come be with us. I think it just sets the stage for Sundays, honestly. Like, I walked in today just expectant, more so than I normally do on any given Sunday, which I always have this expectation, but it just kind of sets the stage, sets the tone for me when I walk in because of what I've experienced throughout the week. So I encourage you, be with us, but it's an exciting time here at our church. One of the reasons that it's exciting here at Canton Church, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, uh, we are having a lot of babies and a lot of pregnancies in our church. Uh, honestly, like uh, just within our staff couples, uh, just over the last few weeks, uh, Pastor Steve and Jess Mallow had little Miss Lucy back in the second week of December, I think it was the 11th, uh, and then Pastor Casey and Haley Kamitz, they had uh, baby praise on December 27th, and I got to hold all those babies, but it's like I, I take my kids to the pet store, because at the end, I can give them back, and I go back home, so like I'm holding babies and loving them until they start crying, I'm like, all right, I'm gone, so, um, but last week during the 11 o'clock service, I was walking from my office to the 11 o'clock service, walking through the lobby, and I felt like I was walking through a day care. Honestly, there were so many babies and so many toddlers being checked in in the kids' life check-in area, and then, you know, like moms, you know, holding their babies and bouncing them between services and trying to, you know, placate them a little bit before they, you know, put them back into the kids' life environment where they're going to be and loved on and stuff so that they could serve. Like, it was crazy to see, and I was just thinking about all these babies and all these toddlers, and I was just so thankful that I'm in a church that just has so many different generations represented. Uh, because we exist because generations matter. And when we talk about that, it's more than just something up on the wall. It's more than just something that we do talk about. It really is our heart. Uh, a little over a year and a half or two years ago, when Corey and I were driving down the road, we knew that uh, our story, the, the Canton campus of Mount Perry North, I knew, we knew we were going to separate and be planted as a separate church. And if you're not familiar with that part of our story, I'd love to tell you that sometime. But we were just praying about and talking about in a, in a long car ride one afternoon, like what is it that really we are passionate about in ministry? What is, what is the Canton campus and Canton church? What do they truly reflect now? And what do we hope that God allows it to reflect as we move forward for years and years and years and years to come? And, and this idea of generations is, is where we landed and where we felt like God was leading us. And, you know, our heart, my heart, is that these babies that we see, these new babies, that I'll get to hold them now, yes, uh, but that they will get to partner with their parents and help them just, you know, kind of enter into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ along with our Kids Life team, just that, that that relationship with Jesus would continue to grow and that they would get older and enter into our student ministries and then into the various ministries and life group environments throughout our church, and that at some point in their future, I will get the privilege to stand and perform their wedding with a spouse that they have chosen and that has chosen them, and then at some point, I'll stand on probably not this stage, but another stage in this community and dedicate their children. Because for me, it is about generations. It's about the idea that God would help us to continue the legacy of faith that he's entrusting to us. I remember the day that Corey told me we were pregnant for the first time. Uh, we were working at a church in Mobile, Alabama. I was a youth pastor. 
And uh, the senior adults from our church uh, had taken a day trip over to Pensacola to the Naval uh, Aviation Museum, the kind of the Blue Angels Museum there. And so they had taken a trip and they had taken a couple of vans. And when they got there, they realized that one or two of their vans was just having major trouble and was not going to be able to bring them back to Mobile. So they called back to the church. And so several of us that were there, we were going to drive some other vans to go and pick them up. And so I called Corey on the phone and I said, hey, I got to run to Pensacola. She was like, that's fine. I've got a doctor's appointment. It's totally fine. No big deal. Um, We'll just meet back at the house later. And so I drove over to Pensacola, picked them up, drove back home, walked into the house. And when I did, Corey handed me a gift bag. Well, that's dangerous for a husband because I thought, oh my God, I've forgotten an anniversary. (laughs) But I thought, no, we at that point, we had only been married three months. So I thought, I don't think this is an anniversary. But then I thought, well, maybe I've missed one of those made-up anniversaries. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, congratulations, this is the eight-year anniversary of the first time we kissed in a Jiffy Lube. Like, you just, it's just like, you don't really, what, what, what is that gift that you give to one another? I don't really know. So I was like, no, I don't think this was an anniversary. And so I just, I, I received the, the gift, and I, and I was like, I, I'm sorry, I don't have anything for you. And she's like, no, just open it. And so I reached down into the gift bag, and down in there were a couple of things. And so I pulled the first one out, and it was a baby bib that said, I love daddy. So I laid it down to the side. And then I picked out a pregnancy test that read positive. And I laid it down to the side, and I I looked down for, like, the false bottom. Like, what else? Is there a rabbit in here? And then all of a sudden, the male neurons in my brain started to connect. And I just looked at her and I said, you're kidding. And she said, no. And she had this big smile on her face. And I was like, you're kidding. She was like, no. I was like, oh, my gosh. And I paced up and down the hallway of the 700-square-foot newlywed home that we had walking by the green pleather chase lounge that was our living room furniture, thinking, how in the world are we going to raise a child? Now, I was so excited. Like, I know my response didn't indicate that to you, but I was in shock. I just, I could not believe that we were having a child, but I was so excited. And now looking back, like, I wish I would have responded better. I'll admit. Like, I I wish that the Holy Spirit would have told me on my way home from Pensacola, and I could have, too, brought a gift bag to her. But I wish I would have responded better. And maybe you've had an experience like that, where you got unexpected news, or you got something that you just couldn't hardly believe, and maybe you reacted poorly. Maybe you wish that you could have reacted in a different way. That's kind of what happens here today in the story that I want us to look at. This is the story of a lady named Sarah. And this verse that I want us to read here quickly is in Genesis chapter 18. This is found in verse 10 through 12. This is a response that if she had it to do over again, she probably would have chosen something different. This is what it says in Genesis 18 verse 10. Then one of them, these are some visitors, some men that are representing God coming and visiting a man named Abraham who we talked about last week. We'll talk about that in a second. Then one of them said, I will return to you in about this time next year and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Now, when she gets word 
from the visitors here, representing God, speaking the truths of God, that she is going to have a son, she laughs. Like, I think if you ask Sarah later in her life, maybe she would have wanted to respond differently. But she laughed and said, how in the world could this be possible? So today I want us to continue in this series that we started last week called Eleven. And I want us to look at the story of Sarah, and I want us to talk about this idea of the faith to believe. Now, last week, what we talked about was we talked about her husband, Abraham. And if you didn't listen, I would love for you to go back and listen to this on the podcast. I think that it just sets up this new year for us so well. Just a challenging word from God's word where we just are challenged to really trust God for something that we might not have first thought of. But today, as we look at the story of Sarah, I want us to go to Hebrews 11 and I want us to look at what is commonly referred to as the hall of faith. Hebrews 11 is filled with the incredible stories of the men and women from the Old Testament that really are the, the tenets of those stories that build our faith. But they trusted God for big things to see God do some big things. And so, you know, throughout Hebrews 11, we're, we're introduced or we're kind of reintroduced to some of these major men and women of, of the stories of the Old Testament. And Abraham gets tons of real estate in Hebrews 11. I mean, tons, or, tons of verses, tons of his story is cataloged in Hebrews 11. Sarah gets one verse, Hebrews 11, verse 11, and it says this, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren, and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. So we already read that Sarah, when she heard the news, she laughed. But here in Hebrews 11, we actually see that she was commended for her faith when God actually did what he had promised to do. And so I want to spend a little time this morning looking at a few thoughts from the story of Sarah that I believe will challenge all of us with the faith to believe. I don't know where you find yourself today. I'm not sure if maybe you've got a lot of things going on or just a few things going on that are stretching your faith, stretching your, your belief in God, stretching your ability to believe that some of the things that you're walking through are even possible. But today I want us to look at this idea of the faith to believe and, and really ask God to help us to grow our faith in him, to find the faith to do big things. And I want us to do that from the story of Sarah. And the first thought that I see here in the story of Sarah is this. The promise started with God. The promise started with God. For her, it was the promise of a child. The promise of God, of the child started with God. Look at this in Genesis 17, verse 19. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. God is the one speaking several chapters before and a number of years before we see this actually take place, what we already read there later in Genesis. But in Genesis 17, God is speaking and he says, yes, Abraham, your wife Sarah will bear you a son. Now they were already well up in years. And so the promise of God here was from God. But the, the problem for me so often is that I have my own promises I have my own dreams and my own desires and my own thoughts, and I get frustrated when God doesn't fulfill my promises. I get fr frustrated when God doesn't fulfill my dreams. I get frustrated when I'm chasing after something that I hope and believe to be that I want with my life, in my heart, in my mind. This is what I want God to do, but I've never really checked with God. 
Or maybe I gave it that cursory prayer like, God, would you just bless this? And I just kept moving. And then when I don't feel God's blessings on whatever it is that I'm chasing and pursuing, I get frustrated that God hasn't kept my promise. But here's the truth, and I want you to see this. This is going to be on the screen for you. God doesn't have to keep your promises, but he always keeps his promises. God doesn't have to keep your promises, but he always keeps his promises. The reality here is even though Sarah was old, God had promised it to be. God had said, this is the reality. This is what's going to happen. And so God had to keep his word. As I was studying for this week, I ran across a number of study resources that asked this question. When God said, through the visitors to Abraham, when God said that Sarah was going to have a child, and she laughed, and she was insubordinate, or she wasn't submissive, or, or, or she lacked faith, why didn't God then just withhold a child because of her lack of faith? And there's a number of things that you could really unpack in that story, except this. God couldn't go back on his word. It doesn't matter if she laughed, or she cried, or she cursed him, really, once he had declared that promise to be true about her, he had to keep his word because God doesn't have to keep your promises, but he always keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. And so maybe today you're trying to figure out how do I live with the faith to trust God for big things? I would start by making sure that the big things you're trusting God for originated with God. I would make sure that you're not just asking God to bless your dreams and bless your promises and make your dreams a reality, but say, God, what is it that you desire for me to do? What is it you're promising over my life? What is it that you're blessing in my life? And how can I multiply the blessings that you already have over me so that they would become a reality? The first truth here is that the promise started with God. It did not start with Sarah. The second thought is this. Sarah's identity became tied to the promises of God. Her identity became tied to the promises of God. There again in, verse, uh, in chapter 17 of Genesis, beginning in verse 15 and 16, look at this. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Up to this point, her name wasn't actually Sarah. It was Sarai. And Sarai means my princess, which is a beautiful name. But the problem is that for God to do what he needed to do in her life, he needed to rename her. This is a pattern throughout scripture. From Genesis all the way to the end of the New Testament, we see a number of places where when God is doing a work or when God is about to do a work or when God has done a work, he will rename someone or rename a place to declare the promises about them to that place or to that person. And so when he's making this promise, this covenant to Sarah and to Abraham, first he's got to call them by the right name. It was Abram and Sarai until God decided that their names needed to reflect the promise that he was making to them. And so her name used to mean my princess. But then when God changed it to Sarah, did you catch it? Now it means the mother of nations. Now here's the problem. Once you go all the way back to what we started with and you say, well, I want my life to be centered around the promises of God, you have to actually own those promises as a part of the identity that you walk in. And for so many of us, we're unable or unwilling to get past the names that we've been called in our past to embrace the name that God calls us by so that we can truly walk into our future. 
God said about Sarai, no, for you to really fulfill the promise that I have for you, you can no longer just be my princess. You have to be the mother of nations. Well, here's the reality. You, you can call her Sarah, the mother of nations, and yet she was still old and barren and without a child. And so sometimes you have to be willing to take on a name that doesn't reflect your present reality because you're trusting God to, to make it be the reality of your future because he always keeps his promises. And so you have to say, I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. No matter how many times the enemy would try to trick me and make me believe that I'm something else, no matter how many times the enemy would try to label me with my worst mistakes and try to convince me that I'm never going to amount to anything, I'm never going to find freedom, I'm never going to accomplish anything worthwhile, I stand on the promises of God that God is a loving heavenly father who desires to give good gifts to me, that he has a plan and a future with hope for me. I'm a son and a daughter of God. But I love here that her name, her identity was tied to the promises of God. Because again, think about this. this I don't know, what, this just stood out to me as I was reading this in preparation. That she was called my princess. So you think about a princess. My, I've, got a, I've got a seven-year-old daughter. She's watching a lot of princess TV shows and movies right now, right? Uh, about every third or fourth Hallmark movie is about a common girl who becomes a princess, Right? Here's the thing I know about princesses. They, to be a princess, you have to start out or eventually find your way into the royal lineage, right? That you, you, have to, you have to marry a prince. You, you have to be a part of the line. But what God is saying here is no longer are you just a princess, your identity. You are now called the mother of nations, the identity of others who will come from you. Not only did it call her the mother of nations, it actually said... And this is, this is so poetic to me. Kings of peoples will come from her. Kings of peoples will come from her. And again, maybe this is just the way my brain works, but I thought about princess identity, mother of nations, the identity of others. Kings of peoples will come from her. The promise of God for Sarah wasn't actually about Sarah. It was about other people. It was about other nations. It was about future generations. It was about a group of people that had yet to see the earth. They had not been born yet. And what God was saying is, I'm making a promise with you, Abraham, and I'm making a promise with you, Sarah, but I'm not just making that promise to you. I'm actually starting that promise with you for the generations that would come after you. And we talked just a second ago about this idea for us as a church. We're passionate about this idea that the generations matter. And so as I thought about that for me, I thought about one of our mornings this week in our 6 a.m. prayer time. We came together in this room. One of the days, one of our prayer points was families. And as we were praying about families, I started praying for my children. Right? They're a part of my family. But I didn't just end there. I actually then started praying for my grandchildren, the children of my current children, the oldest of which is 14 right now. I started praying for my grandchildren. And then I took it a step further, and I started praying for my great-grandchildren. I don't know how many years until I have great-grandchildren, 
But I was praying now for God to bless them. I said, God, the promises and the blessings that you've placed on my life and you've given to us and to our family, I pray that it extends beyond me and it extends into the next generation and to the next generation. Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we even find this foundational idea of because generations matter, it says when you get into the promised land, you're going to drink from wells you didn't dig and you're going to eat from, from vineyards that you didn't plant. And later on, it talks about the fact that your children are going to ask you, and it says that your faith is for you, your children, and your children's children. Some of you are here today, and you just prayed a prayer a few moments ago, or you're going to pray a prayer in a minute, and maybe part of it is for you. But I wonder if we could even change the scope a little bit in our minds and recognize that perhaps we're praying prayers that have lasting impact and actually affect those who will come after us. I prayed for my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren, and I prayed for their spouses, children who are not yet born two or three generations from now that will marry the children of my children's children because I'm believing and trusting God to do a work in their lives. And I don't know how it all works out. I just know how it works for me. I'm grateful and I'm thankful for the heritage that I have. And so sometimes when I come to take the stage, I bring with me a Bible from a grandparent or from a parent that they've passed on to me. And I, I tell stories, even when I spoke at one of our 6 a.m. prayer gatherings this week, I, I tell stories of my family because they taught me so much about the faith. And so my hope is that at some point in the years to come, I mean years and years and years from now, we're driving holograms around or however it's going to work. I don't really know how that's going to happen. I hope that there is some gathering of God's people. I hope we haven't forsaken that. And there's some gathering of God's people. And maybe in a prayer moment or in a worship moment or in a speaking moment, there is someone who takes the stage and they said, let me tell you a story about my great, great grandfather, Jeremy Isaacs. That's what I'm praying and believing for. Maybe it doesn't have to happen on a stage. Maybe it happens as they open Christmas presents and they open your Bible to read to their children the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. Maybe they sing songs to their children that you taught them, that you learned as a child. You're passing on something. And so here's the question. Will any of your prayers outlive you? Will any of your prayers outlive you? Or do we only pray about the things that affect us today? Do we only pray, God, help me today, help me on my job today, help meet this situation, help change this circumstance in my life, help give me more money, help give me more favor, help bless this issue, help touch my body? All those things are fine. None of those things are bad prayers. But I wonder if we ever pray any prayers that would outlive us. How many of our prayers outlive us? Our identity and our faith is not just about us. It's for those that are coming after us. That's why we fight for families here at Canton Church. We fight for families here because we recognize that the enemy is fighting just as hard to destroy them. And so we want to try to do everything within our power to equip you to fight against the enemy, to recognize that what you hold in your hands and in your home is sacred. And that the enemy's fighting you because your family's actually has the potential to tell a much larger story. It's the story of God's love for his human followers, his sons and daughters, because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
We believe in families. We believe in generation. And so Sarah, her, her identity became tied to the promises of God. The last thought is this. Sarah believed God to do something laughable. Sarah believed God to do something laughable. We already read that she laughed when she heard the news, and why wouldn't she? She was old. Abraham was old. The idea here that God would say to them, you're going to have a child now, is laughable. I mean, it truly is laughable. Hebrews 11, 11, the middle of what we already read, said this, though she was barren and was too old. The writer of Hebrews is already declaring that it was impossible for her to have a child. She was not just old, she was too old. There's a difference there, right? You can be old, or if I walk by you and go, yeah, you're, you're, you're too old to serve in that role. Like, you just can't. That, that means it's impossible for you to break through the requirements to get into that role. Like, mother, there's a requirement there. She was barren. She did not possess what was needed to accomplish what, was, what God was promising to her. And she was too old. So, so God, to do this, it was laughable. Genesis 17 tells us that Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. Genesis 11 and 16 tells us that Sarah was barren. She couldn't have children. She was even willing to let Abraham use her servant Hagar to birth a son to try to fulfill the promise in a roundabout way. That's for another day, but they just decided, you know what, even though God's promised it, we're going to do things our own way because surely God can't do what God said he was going to do. And so we'll just try to circumvent the promise and help God accomplish what God was trying to do in the first place. It was laughable that God could do this. It was laughable. And so I wonder, as you think about the promises of your life, as you think about the dreams of your life, as you think about the things that you're asking and believing and hoping God will accomplish, as you really trust God for some things that you believe are the promises he's already spoken towards you, what are the laughable issues that you have? What are those laughable issues? For Sarah, it was barrenness and being too old. What is it for you? Related to the promises that you believe God may want to fulfill in your life, what is it that God just, there's no way God could do it because this is, this is laughable that he would even consider it. Maybe you're too old. You're not just old, you're too old, right? Maybe you're too young. You're not just young, like you're cute, you're young, you know. But I mean, when we start talking, you're, you're too young for this. Maybe you're, you're just not talented enough. God's promised some things and put some dreams in your heart and entrusted some things to you. You're holding to those things, but it requires a level of talent that you recognize like you don't have. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I mean, it's laughable that God would call me to do that because I'm not talented. You don't understand. Like I don't, I don't actually have that kind of talent. I don't possess what God would need. to do. Maybe you're too single. Maybe, maybe, the promises of God would require you not to be single, and yet you are single, and so surely God would, he can't, it's laughable that he would even contemplate this because you're, you're too single. Maybe you don't have enough money. Maybe, maybe to do this, to, to really do what God's calling you to do, to receive the promises of God, to accomplish what God's entrusting to you and really asking of you and believing over you, like, you're going to have some startup cash for that. You, you, don't, you don't have the money to do that. 
There's no way you could start that business or start that ministry. There's no way that you could give that kind of money away. You, you, you don't have enough money. It, it's laughable that God would even contemplate this about you because you don't, you don't have enough. You, you, I mean, you're not, you're not, you have no business sense. You don't even understand basic principles of business. So the idea that you would start a business, you would start a company, you would start that, that you believe God's asking you to step in and fill a need and create a product or create a service that would actually bring change or impact. Like you don't, that's laughable that God would ask you to do that. You don't have any kind of business sense at all. The fact that God would elevate you in your organization and promote, like there's no, you don't have a business sense. You don't have enough influence. You're not smooth enough in meetings. It's laughable that God would ask you to do this. Jeremy, this also, you don't understand. I've made too many mistakes. Like my past is a mess. You, you don't understand. It's laughable that I'm even contemplating this right now and believing that God might even think about this in my direction because I'm a mess. You don't understand the mistakes that I've made. You don't understand when I've corrected those mistakes, I've made other mistakes and way worse. You don't understand how my mistakes have cost some people that I love. It's laughable that God would ever consider me because I've made too many mistakes. Surely, surely not. It's laughable to think that God could do this in my life. Can I tell you something today? You're right. It's probably not where you thought I was going, right? You're right. You're too old. You're too young. You're not talented enough. You don't have the right skills. You don't, you, you don't really have enough influence to make it happen. You don't have the charisma. You're not smooth talking enough. You don't have enough money. You don't have a business sense. You're too single. You, you, you just, you've made too many mistakes. You're right. You're right. It is entirely laughable that God would ever consider to do in you what God desires to do in you. But here's the reality. It's when we embrace that laughable issue that when God actually does it, he has to get the glory for it because there's no way we could have done it. We were too old and too young and not talented enough and didn't have enough money and didn't have the business sense and didn't have the influence and didn't know enough people and we had made too many mistakes. So when God chooses to do it, God has to get the glory for it because it had to be God that did this thing. It could not have been us. It's laughable, really, what God desires to do. But look at this last passage of Scripture. This is found in Genesis 21, beginning in verse 1. And I want us to read it slow because I want you to see what happened. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. 
Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. When Sarah heard what God was planning, she laughed at God. God just don't know. He don't know how old I am. He's forgotten. He, don't, he definitely don't know how old Abraham is. Abraham can't hear me when I call him from the tent. God's forgotten how old we are. And she laughed at God. And then when God delivered on his promise, she had said, other people will come and laugh with me about what God has surely done through me. Here's what I want you to know today. Faith is a laughing matter. Faith is a laughing matter. If you aren't holding to some things that God may be promising and declaring over your life that make you chuckle, you're probably not believing for big enough things yet. Because faith is a laughing matter. And here's the question. What if your laughable issues aren't a setback, but they're a setup? What if what you have convinced yourself makes you unable to receive the promises of God, unable to receive the blessings of God, unable to accomplish what God may want to do in and through you? It's not a setback. It doesn't eliminate you. It makes you the perfect candidate because it's a setup so that in the end, God gets all the glory for it. Because everybody knows you were too old and you were too young and you didn't have enough money and you didn't have the right influence and you didn't know enough and you weren't talented enough and you'd made way too many mistakes. In the end, when God does what God has promised he's going to do, in the end, God gets all the glory for it because there's no way you could have done that. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. What are those things that you've been laughing at God about that maybe just maybe God wants to do so that you can go, <laughs> that had to be God. And you can laugh with God about them. Faith is a laughing matter. Faith is a laughing matter. Trusting God and believing God for some things that have to be God if they're going to be accomplished. Because if God doesn't do it, it cannot be done. It cannot be done. And remember, God doesn't have to keep your promises, but he always keeps his And so don't just take your own promises and throw them up to God and say, God, bless them. Don't just take your own dreams and say, God, make these things happen. Actually seek God and say, God, what is it you're promising over me? What is it you're desiring to do in me and through me? What are you blessing in me? What are you dreaming for me? What what are the hopes that you actually have for me? God, help me to pursue the things that you desire for me to pursue. And God, make some of them so big I laugh about them. So that in the end, we can laugh about him together because you've received all the glory because there's no way I could have accomplished what was accomplished.
gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. If today you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I'm maybe one of those people that perhaps because of mistakes I've made or other issues in my life, I, I know that I am apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. I know that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I recognize, as Romans 3.23 tells us, that I've fallen short of God's standard for living. And I know today I need to ask Him to forgive my sins and be the Lord of my life. And I want to make today the day that everything changes for eternity. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say, Jeremy, for me, I just want the faith to believe. Maybe there's some old dreams and old promises that I've laid aside because I was convinced there's no way God could accomplish those things in my life. Or maybe I'm asking God to dream some new dreams and to reveal some new promises over me. And I'm asking God to give me the faith to believe that he can do the impossible and that he will keep his promises towards me. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. God, I thank you today for every uplifted hand. I thank you, God, for every person in this place who acknowledges their need for you. Today we stand in this place and we recognize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. So God, for every uplifted hand in that moment, as soon as they lifted their hand, even before that, when their heart acknowledged their need for you, God, I believe that you did a work. So now, God, we ask you to forgive their sins and lead and guide their life. Be their Lord. Let their life change from this moment forward. There are some things that change instantaneously. And there are some things that change progressively over time as they more and more trust you with their lives. And so, God, we ask you to do both the instantaneous and the progressive work in their heart as they trust you like never before. And, God, today I pray for every uplifted hand that's asking for the faith to believe. God, maybe the enemy has tricked them or maybe they've tricked themselves into believing that they cannot do and cannot receive what it is that you desire to do in and through them. They're too old. They're too young. They don't have what it takes. They've made too many mistakes. Or some other reason or excuse that in the natural world makes a lot of sense. But God, now I'm asking you to do the supernatural something that exceeds our expectations and exceeds our understanding. And God, I ask you now to birth new dreams in our hearts, to revive old promises and old dreams that we've laid aside because we've convinced ourselves that there's no way you could do those things. God, give us the faith to believe. Give us the faith to believe like never before so that we walk out of this place with a confidence that you have bigger and better for us. God, now we stand against every tool of the enemy to try to distract us, to distort the truth, to trick trick us. And God, now I pray that every person in this place would trust in you and believe in you for bigger things than they've ever believed you for. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.